Yes. Five, four, three, two, one. Welcome to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show and podcast offers listeners an insider's view into starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Connect with Carrie through her candid, often funny, and always informative weekly blog. There, you'll read, learn, and make comment about her life as a 21st century wife, mother, daughter, and entrepreneur. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. On this edition of Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, we're going to take a look at restaurateurs. After all, we may be looking at a loosening of our society's gridlock concerning going out to eat this summer, if all goes according to plan. It would be a huge relief to these restaurateurs all around central Arkansas. After all, for a year plus, they've been dealing with this. The food industry makes up about 20% of the workforce in this country. It is something that you all in the food industry, you dedicate your entire lives to. Marcus Samuelson says it took him 25 years to build a restaurant empire and 10 days for it to crumble. I got to tell you, it it has been full-blown shutdown. So let's go back to simpler days and find out what inspired these restaurateurs to get into the food business to begin with. Let's begin with... Joe Fox from Community Bakery. My guest today is probably the most educated restaurant tour I've ever known. Mr. Joe Fox, owner of Community Bakery in Little Rock, Arkansas, also has a degree in engineering technology, economics, and an MBA from Harvard. Joe's career story is not like any I've ever heard. From what I can tell, he did not have a burning desire to cook serve or commune with others his inspiration for starting his coffee shop was simply to create a place where he could sit and read the sunday new york times this creative and risky business venture to to open an upscale coffee shop on main street in little rock's distressed downtown neighborhood has been hugely successful so much so that fox has since opened another community bakery in west little rock you went to school at ua little rock and got a degree in engineering technology. You went to Stanford University and studied economics. You went to Harvard and got an MBA, Master of Business uh, Administration. Administration. Yep. Thank you. And now you own Community Bakery. Who is Joe Fox? Somebody who likes to operate businesses, I guess, small businesses for the most part. I uh, got used to doing that type of activity when I was young and just kept on. In fact, there's an irony to the fact that uh, at this point in my life, I'm selling donuts and newspapers, and I I did that when I was a kid. <laughs> you did? Where'd you, you grew up in Missouri. Grew up in St. Louis, uh, sold newspapers on the street corner, uh, uh, the day Kennedy was shot, I was out there selling uh, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch uh, just a few doors, a block from my house. And I remember, uh, you know, uh, calling out the way we used to hear in the TV shows at that time. I said they actually issued an extra edition that day. And, and the St. Louis Post-Dispatch was an afternoon newspaper and it had a two-star edition, a three-star edition. But on the day that uh, the assassination occurred, they put out an extra edition. And sure enough, it said extra up in the upper right-hand corner of the uh, newspaper. And I was out there saying, extra, extra, read all about it. Kennedy assassinated in Dallas. Anyway, I was selling newspapers and I'm selling the New New York Times and the Wall Street Journal still today. Uh, And on the donut side, I guess uh, when I was in high school, I kind of made a bit of a name for myself uh, selling donuts uh, to uh, raise money for our junior high school prom. And my innovation that enabled us to sell so many more donuts than any previous class and raise so much more money for our prom was that we decided we could sell donuts on credit to our uh, uh, lower classmen, uh, the other kids in the school. This is a six-year school. It has seventh graders through uh, seniors. So there are six classes and uh, we sold donuts to everybody in the school. And uh, But if they didn't have enough change in their pocket, they could sign a little slip that said, I uh, 
I promised to pay the junior class of uh, St. Louis Priory, uh, and there was a blank. They could fill in however much they wanted and uh, buy as many donuts as they wanted, and uh, people took advantage of that, and uh, uh, we sold a hell of a lot more donuts. Of course, then we had to collect, so... Uh, we uh, we sent the burly football players around to uh, <laughs> to collect as necessary, uh, and you know there were there were some students who were awfully generous and they'd buy donuts for all their friends and they you know, racked up some pretty big bills and that helped us uh, you know have a, a grand uh, what do you call it a grand uh, junior prom. Mm-hmm. In fact, we uh, we brought in an out of town music act and paid way too much money and probably wasn't a good use of money, but. It's what we did. Sounds like a great story, though. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was fun. You were very entrepreneurial. So, and yeah, when I got out of business school, I wanted to do something other than work for corporate America. So I uh, came to, our, to Little Rock to work for Acorn, and it was pretty much straight out of business school. You know, I got here in 77, but uh, I was only here really for about uh, six or seven months. Uh, but uh, I took a liking to the Little Rock and wanted to come back. So uh, I eventually did, but that was four or five years later. And uh, that's when I came back here in 81, I've been here ever since. And uh, it was at that time that I uh, thought, well, you know, I'm, uh, I like to read the New York Times. I can't, uh, I can't get it here on the day of publication, there was one newsstand down on Main Street that uh, carried the Sunday New York Times, but it came in by bus and it got here on Wednesday or Thursday, you know, three or four days after the date of publication. And I said, we got to be able to do better than this. So I uh, dug into it and uh, uh, eventually figured out that the only way I could get it here on Sunday was to become a distributor. So uh, that's what I did. So we have the New York Times and Little Rock now because of you. Uh, Yeah, it would have gotten here eventually without me, but it got here in 77, no, excuse me, in 83, no, 82, 82 because of me. Uh, Well, I had a lot of help with it too. My wife was certainly, I guess I have to tell this story. Uh, So we, uh, we started bringing the New York Times in by playing on Sunday, the weekend before our wedding. And she's going to kill you. I can what, tell. What that meant was that on our wedding night, <laughs> in, in the middle of the night, my wife Leah was up in our hotel room uh, organizing the delivery routes that our friends agreed that our friends then delivered the papers on the next morning. So. Uh, Afraid I was sleeping, and she was. Uh, <laughs> she's rolling up papers she, 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 and making stacks. Well, the papers weren't there. Yeah, she she was she was just organizing the index cards, uh, what order the routes were going to be delivered, and dividing them into routes. So uh. that's probably going to be the most unusual story as to how a restaurateur and bakery owner got started in the business. That's what we're looking at here: is the uh, inspiration behind getting into the restaurant business. After a year plus of the COVID-19 precautions that everybody's had to take and the devastating effect it's had on the restaurant business. Could Jack Sundell's story be that odd? Jack Sundell from the Root Cafe. I went to Hendrix and gosh, what a great school. I was from a small town in Arkansas, Monticello, and I went to governor's school in 11th grade and I just had this wonderful experience where I met people like me, you know, sort of uh, forward thinking uh, for the first time and and uh, found that there were other people my age who had interests besides football and cheerleading. And <laughs> so uh, I went back to Hendricks after I graduated, you know, such an incredible school. It gave me a great education, great foundation and learning how to learn. And then also the opportunity to study abroad, which I did. I studied in France for a year. Then after I got back from there, I finished at Hendricks and Uh, moved to New York City. I had a grandfather living there and lived in New York for two years. Uh, Went to first to an English teaching school. The goal was to become an English teacher. And then once I finished that program, I realized I wouldn't make enough money to support myself in New York by teaching English, or at least the, the way I was looking at it at the time. So I went to bartending school and uh, when they I, make money. They do, but I wasn't able to get a job as a bartender. Well, it's it's a tough market up there, and uh, 
um, there are a lot of, uh, there are a lot of bartenders looking for work. So there's a lot of competition. I didn't have any experience in bartending. I got a job as a waiter at a restaurant and, and worked there for about a year and a half. And so you do have a little waiter experience, a little restaurant experience. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've got a, a decent amount of restaurant experience. I worked at Dixie Cafe in Conway for about nine days. I still hold the record for the uh, most number of dropped drink glasses at one time. <laughs> So you, you couldn't get a bartending job, which I've never heard of anybody not being able to get a bartending job. But okay, and I guess there's well, a lot. Of, I yeah. guess there's a lot of actors wanting bartender jobs, right? And and if you've got experience, I think it's a lot easier. And maybe I was looking in the wrong places, but um, you know, I was I was looking for the kind of bartending job. I would want to have, and I guess that's the kind of bartending jobs that everyone would want to have. So, so you came back to Little Rock. Are you no, joined the Peace Corps? Then? After that, I moved to Michigan, and I lived in Michigan for a year outside of Traverse City. There is a small liberal arts boarding high school called Interlochen. Oh, I know Interlochen. Do you know Interlochen? I visited. Gray thought about going there, one of my sons. Oh, it is okay. a very interesting place. Beautiful. Yeah. They have an enormous summer camp, and I had worked there as a, a cabin counselor a couple of summers during college. And then after, yeah. after Hendrix uh, and after New York City, I decided to uh, be a hall counselor there during the school year. So it was kind of my place to— Do you to- play music? Well, I do. Yeah, I play uh, guitar and harmonica, sing. Interlochen is a very musical school, isn't it? It is. I mean, they don't do folk music, but they have, yeah, classical music, very. jazz. Um, they have uh, creative writing, theater, ballet. So it's a great, wonderful place. So you got a summer job there. Well, summer job and then a, and then a, a full school year job as well as a, as a hall counselor. Because it's a boarding school. Oh, yeah. And uh, it was a great place to kind of recover from New York City, you know, out in the woods for a year. Yeah. Three feet in snow. And away from all that bars and alcohol and kind of regroup. That's right. Jack's life journey continued as he joined the Peace Corps and worked overseas, got to see foreign lifestyles and experience foreign foods and cafes. Then when he came back to the States, he worked at the Heifer Ranch and met a lot of people he'd end up working with. So That's how right. did you start earning money to live your dream of opening a cafe? How did you start that? I started thinking about it, brainstorming uh, the idea of the Root Cafe with a young lady who was out at the Heifer Ranch with me named Rebecca. And uh, the two of us ended up in Little Rock after we were at the ranch and continued to kind of develop this idea. And while it was still in very, very early stages, I met Corey, who became my wife later, and uh, she became uh, a uh, third partner in all of the brainstorming and development of The Root. And so the three of us worked together for about three years, and we did fundraisers, which you know about. Uh, The first one was at Doc's Pool Hall. uh, At Arkansas Flag and Banner. At the Arkansas Flag and Banner. That's when I met you. That's right. A friend of ours, Nathaniel Wills, helped us put together this fundraiser. And, he is uh, an organizing guru, isn't he? Isn't he? Yeah, he just makes things happen. And then he just goes away and you're left doing it. You know, he started the Dreamland Ballroom. That's right, yeah. He started that. He talked me into that, kept doing all these things, and now and now he never comes around. I'm, and I see him and I go, you know, Nathaniel, I'm up to my elbows in the Dreamland Ballroom and I never see you anymore. Well, now he just, <laughs> now he just says, I'm a farmer. I don't I have any time. <laughs> he's, I know. I want him to come on the show sometime. That's right. And he's a dad, too. Yes, so he is. So anyway, those guys, the three of you got together, brainstormed, mm-hmm. and you probably already knew Nathaniel. Yeah, we had met, uh, actually before I even moved to Little Rock, I met him at uh, Merle Fest, a music festival in North Carolina, and uh, so I already knew him. In when North I got Carolina? To... Yeah, yeah. He... Two Arkansans met in North Carolina. Well, it happens. Really? At least it did one time. <laughs> okay, okay. Y'all met down there and said, hey, I'm from Little Rock. He said, me too. That's right, yeah, that's exactly how it happened. Okay. And uh, so then... Uh, we did those fundraisers, you know, it was just like a keg party with a band and friends would come and we would ask for donations and put a piece of paper out to build an email list. And uh, How many fundraisers did you have? At Docs, I think we did three or four. That's I can't remember, I think, but too. a few, you know, we'd get a different band each time or a couple of bands. And Did you do in any place else? Let's see. I'm, boy, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I don't think so. I think most of the... the uh, events like that we did we did at Doc's Pool Hall eventually we started renting the kitchen at uh, yes. Christ Episcopal Church at 6th yes. and Scott Street yeah. so we did some some other format fundraisers uh, we would do like a movie and a dinner night did um, you get enough money at these 
uh, fundraisers and at Christchurch, did you make enough money to start a business, or did you have to go out and get a loan on top of that? We ended up borrowing $10,000. That's nothing. It really, yeah, it wasn't much. Um, but that was mainly for the Venahood to get a Venahood installed. Um, you know, the, not all of the fundraisers were that successful monetarily, but we did, you know, if they didn't raise a lot of money, then we considered them friend raisers. And that's right. You know, it was a way to build our email list and it was a way to get the message out that we were working on opening a local foods cafe. And and you need sales, which is really what you were doing is you were building your sales, your customer base. You need sales almost before you need the location. And most people put in a location, spend all this money, and then they go out and try to get sales. You reversed that. So you probably never went in debt, did you? Because you reversed that. You had right. customers first. Yeah, yeah. That is very odd. Well, you know, looking back, it worked out great. Yeah. We didn't we didn't know that we were doing something something smart and <laughs> I wish I could say that it was intentional, but you know, we I think were just really averse to taking on debt. So we thought, why don't we do this slowly and we'll spend time raising money, we'll spend time raising awareness of local foods in the Little Rock community. You've raised your money, now you've got to pick out a location. Right. Well, that was, you know, one of the benefits of spending that three years was that we got to look at a lot of locations. And so there's a lot of uh, of infrastructure hurdles to opening a restaurant that make it really, really expensive on the front end. And that's why you very often see when a, a restaurant closes that another restaurant will open in the same location because they already have a lot of those things like a grease trap and a vena hood that are required for running a restaurant. And that's what you did. Well, no, we... Uh, you went to... Fr- you, wasn't your place an old drive-in or something? You know, it had been, but it had, it was from so long ago that none of that stuff was still usable. Use- oh. So, um, so during that three years, uh, we were doing the fundraisers. We did canning and food preservation workshops also. It was a lot of fun. Down um, at uh, Christchurch? Yeah, we did those at Christchurch mostly. Also at the Universalist Church, we did a few of those. We did those uh, events, like I was talking about the movie, uh, dinner and a movie type stuff. We did uh, catering, which was a lot of fun. You know, we'd have people would get in touch with us who had met us at Earth Day or something like that, and they'd say, "Hey, can you cater a wedding or can you cater a party?" So we so would. Where'd kinda, you cook it all? All down at Christchurch? We would, mm-hmm, yeah, we would cook it because we that was a certified commercial kitchen, so we were able to to use that kitchen, cook what we needed to cook, and then like we would take a, a catering delivery somewhere. It's like an incubator, small business incubator down there for restaurants. Are they? I it, wonder if they could still do that. For it was, you know, I don't know if they still do that, but I know that Trinity uh, did it for a little while. I don't yeah, think you know, Kent Walker, he got his start in Trinity, and mm-hmm. Loblolly also used that kitchen first. Well, let's hear the story behind another restaurateur's inspiration to open their place. As long as Jack Sundell has mentioned Loblolly ice cream, a couple of years ago, Carrie spoke with Sally Mingle. Sally Mingle, co-founder of Loblolly's Creamery in Little Rock. Mm-hmm. Lob Lolly. Where Lob did you Lolly. get that name? Well, do you know what the state tree is? No. It's um, I it's, feel terrible. I don't oh no, know. it's like a silly trivia question. I should know that. Um, Our son is in horticulture. I know, right? Know oh, Jack, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it's a Lob Lolly pine tree, and so I wanted to. Um, I actually remember I was at Vino's with my friends, and I was trying to come up with a name for my ice cream business. And I told my friends, if anyone can come up with a name, I'll I'll give you ice cream for life. And so I was trying to come up with a name that related to Arkansas because we try to use local seasonal ingredients. Um, so in Arkansas flavors, Southern flavors. And I wanted something whimsical and fun and kind of funny to say. So we were just looking up Arkansas stuff and someone was looking at the state things, you know, the, you know, the, what the bird was and what the, so what's the bird? Isn't it the, it starts with an M. Mockingbird. Uh, Mockingbird. Mockingbird. Okay. Yeah. And then, <laughs> you know, like apple blossom, I think is the flower diamond, you know, we know whatever. the diamond. Yes. Yes. We do. Yes. <laughs> but that's because I sell flags and it's on the flag. But go ahead. <laughs> but yeah. So someone said, Oh, a Lobwally pine tree. And I thought Lobwally was a fun name. Sounds like you have a mouthful of food when you say it. It's kind of a tongue twister. I enjoy people kind of like having a hard time saying it because it's just fun. Like it doesn't need, it's not serious. It's ice cream. It's not, you know, we're not making. You're not doing brain surgery. No brain surgery. No aircrafts, no spaceships. So you decided that you were going to start selling something you loved. Yeah, yeah. Mine was kind of an accident, actually. I was working at the Green Corner store at the time. 
And Shelly Green, the owner, and Anita Davis, the landlord, got all these period piece fixtures from the store. The the store, if you go, it has all these old uh, pharmacy and soda fountain fixtures, beautiful pieces, which the store used to be a pharmacy from 1906 to 1967. Shelly gave me the opportunity to start a soda fountain. I've worked in, in food service, owned a coffee cart on campus, worked at an ice cream store. And so she gave me that opportunity, and I wanted to make everything from scratch, the soda syrups and the ice cream, so I started that. Did you start with the small business incubator in Trinity Cathedral? Is that where you started making? What kitchen yeah, did you Yeah, yeah, we used Trinity to make our ice cream. I yeah. remember and that, was that, really actually. Nice to have. Yeah, it was a great opportunity. We were with Kent Walker Cheese, a pie company, and a soup company at the time. Uh-huh. I don't think they're still doing that, though. But that is a great way to use an industrial kitchen to see if you can make it work. Oh, yeah, I would goes. definitely recommend it. I mean, cottage laws are great, too. Baked goods and, and some jams and jellies you can just make at home and sell them. But definitely finding an incubator kitchen because kitchens are expensive. That's right. So, And you don't want to invest the money until you find out if you're good at it. Sally, you went from two employees because you have a co-founder with you. Yeah, my mom actually is my... Uh, oh, it well, is? Yeah, the co-founder was um, is Rachel Moore, and she just helped me start the business. But now my mom and me own it together. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. And now you have 10 employees. 13. 13. Well, your article's a little bit behind. Yeah, um, a little outdated. <laughs> talk to me about hiring employees and going from you and the two co-founders. Right. We've been open for about five years. So, you know, in the beginning you do everything and you make a lot of mistakes and you learn from it. The biggest mistake that I've learned is not asking for help. And if I could go back, I would ask for help more. But slowly we hired people. Definitely... Investing in a good bookkeeper when it gets bigger than just yourself is is definitely recommended. Sometimes business owners will get tied up in the bookkeeping aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, no. It is actually the easiest part of your business to train. Yeah, I agree. And making the product, I feel. Yeah. Are you still making the product? I'm still churning, yes. So I had a friend that owned a rental car business. And Mm -hmm. every time I would talk to her, she would be down there invoicing her customers. Instead of outselling or mm-hmm. meeting her customers, she'd be in the back. And I mentored her about getting a bookkeeper. And she right. could never let go of the money. She was like, oh, but it's the money. It's the right. money. I, it is hard to let go of. It's definitely. And it's hard to let go on various tasks. Like I had to be trained and weaned by my team to like delegate because that's really hard. The first thing I delegated was the soda fountain. We have a soda fountain in the green corner store where you can... Uh, get ice cream and sodas and milkshakes and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the first thing was like hiring a staff to work there so that I could go out and do our wholesales and make deliveries and make sure the kitchen has ice cream. What are the rules and the hurdles you have to get over for the health department in Little Rock, Arkansas? Oh, that's a great question. Well, thank you. Well, if you are making a food item in Little Rock, you definitely have to have a commercial kitchen. Except, I mean, look into cottage laws, so if you're doing baked goods or some canned things, you can get around it. So a commercial kitchen, you know, has a grease trap. Has Do you have to have a grease trap when you're making ice cream? Yes. Yep. Really? Yeah, we cook things. We pour milk down the drain. I guess that's greasy. Yeah, it's greasy. That's why I love it. Yep. They care about refrigerator temps. They care about your product being labeled, so you need to look up how to label things. Like, Did you do all that research online? Yeah, it's super easy. Oh, um, see, And the health department's super nice. They'll come out and show you what to do, and they'll talk to you. So this sounds oh, like a logistic nightmare to me. It's a perishable <laughs> product. Yeah, yeah. How do you transport it, and how do you restock it? Great questions. Well, we used to just deliver it in my car with a cooler. Oh. And, and you know, like, I started this because I wanted ice cream at the soda fountain, and it turned into a business. I never really thought, like, okay, I want to go in the food business. What should I make? If I did, I probably wouldn't have picked ice cream because it melts. And then when you refreeze it, it's not the same. Nope. It's not like frozen vegetables where you can kind of get away with refreezing. It's a very... and But it's a beautiful product because you have to focus on it. You know, it's, ice cream's not like a bag of chips where you can put it in a bowl, walk away munch on it you have to like focus on the ice cream i never thought about that you're right and i focus on it every night (laughs) (laughs) and it's fun it's versatile you can do a lot of flavors but anyways for delivery we we now upgraded to a delivery truck we have a freezer truck 
So it keeps it cold upon delivery, which is really lovely. How did you ever do it without a delivery truck with the, with a freezer? You I just would, ran really fast. You just broke all the laws and ran through the stoplight? We had really nice Yeti ice. I recommend it. Oh. I, that product is great. Like dry ice. I bought a lot of dry ice. I gotcha. But we didn't start delivering to Fayetteville until we got the delivery truck. Well, um, now that's not true because Sarah borrowed my car one time and took it to <laughs> Because I have a van and she filled it up with your ice cream and took it to Fayetteville. You probably don't know that. So I was a oh, delivery no, I, truck. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. We had, well, that's because um, we ran out so quickly because the yeah. cause ice cream was so good. We had so many people buy it that we had to like come down on a special trip that wasn't on their delivery system. Yeah. I love your green tea ice cream. Oh, thank you. Of course, yeah. I like salt on my ice cream. Yeah, I do too. Our salted caramel is pretty salty. And sweet. It's Mm -hmm. good, too. But, yeah, and then restocking the ice cream, it's just all about... I text mostly to people because everyone's so busy that it's not bugging them. They can get back. But I text my wholesale customers every week to see if they need product. On today's Up In Your Business program with Carrie McCoy, we're listening to the stories of how restaurateurs got inspired to get into the food business. And the reason we've chosen that topic is because maybe, just maybe, by this summer we'll begin to get back to some normalcy about restaurants and going out to eat. More fascinating stories coming up on Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. You try and try and try to get attention for your business or for an organization of some kind. You know what flagandbanner.com has that'll help you get to that goal? String pennants. They're perfect for attracting attention. And we have a huge selection of colorful pennant flags. You can use them for festival gatherings, pennant lines, car dealerships use them all the time. Pennant crowd control barriers, American flag pennant barriers. If you're looking for a patriotic display that's unique. They come in all kinds of sizes, all kinds of colors, all kinds of materials. If you don't see your color combination for a string pennant, just contact flagandbanner.com. It's one of those things you might not think about that flagandbanner.com is expert at. Of course, they've got flags, they've got flagpoles, they've got all the hardware you'd need. And commercial string pennants are very valuable. Got a grand opening coming up? We got you covered. Are you a pharmacy getting ready to handle big crowds for COVID vaccines? String pennants can keep things organized. Flagandbanner.com. Ask us for advice. We're here to help. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. And on today's program, we're looking at restaurateurs and their original inspirations for getting into the food business before they ever realized the pandemic would have such a devastating effect on restaurants. And not just the restaurateurs, but as activists in the food industry uh, point out to us, it involves a huge number of people. Say our responsibility to speak out for all these folks that make up such a huge chunk of America's workforce, not just the restaurants, but the people that supply the restaurants, the people that mm-hmm. fix the equipment, the people that make the linen. I mean, everybody. It is. A, I, I think that and that's the thing. The supply chain is so vast, bigger than any of us could possibly imagine. Restaurant businesses and food businesses are very tenuous. They're not they don't have a lot of cash reserves and they go from week to week. And that's the fact of the matter. I've been in the business my whole life. Restaurants in the U.S. are reeling from social distancing measures aimed to slow the spread of the coronavirus pandemic. The industry employs more than 15 million people in the United States. Restaurants, large and small, are doing the best they can to navigate the economic shock brought on by the pandemic containment initiatives. So the COVID shutdowns are probably the biggest existential crisis that this industry has ever faced. So we're happy to look at a possibly much brighter second half of 2021 for our local restaurateurs. And hear some of the inspiring stories of how they got started. For example, the owner of Star of India. Sammy Lal, the friendly and well-known owner of the Star of India restaurant in West Little Rock, Arkansas, is innately aware of his human connection as evidenced by the way he treats everyone. And I mean everyone that comes into his restaurant as family. Sammy, your restaurant has received the Arkansas Times Reader's Choice Award more than once. It's been called the best Indian cuisine in Arkansas and has been nationally recognized by TripAdvisor.com as number nine on the list of places to eat in Little Rock. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's true. Praise the Lord. Why do you think you've been so successful? Well, the reason behind when whoever comes to my restaurant, I always treat just like my families come. 
and I treat just like my family. I'm treating my home kids, and I home my relative, and my home older and elder and children and middle. That's why I love everybody from my heart. That's why I'm doing. Plus, I work very hard, trying to make a customer happy, and myself happy too. That's why I'm doing. That seems like a simple recipe for being successful. You are known by everyone. When I mentioned to people that you were coming on the show, it seems everyone knows you, and they all said the same thing to me. Ask him how he remembers everyone's name. So, Sammy, how do you yes, remember sir. everyone's name? Well, there is a God gift I have, it, which is I don't want to lose it. I will pray the people and how people pray for me. I will still remember the name for everybody. Well, when people come, if God comes to my tongue to remind me the name of whoever, which is I know the person. So... You are giving the credit to God who gives you yes. the skill to mm-hmm. remember people's names. Yeah, that's true. I'm nothing. I'm just a servant. I'm doing my job. If God comes to my tongue, he's saying, I'm not seeing, saying anything. God is, comes to my tongue. He is saying the name. Who is the person? Who is Holly? And who is Neela? Who is Mrs. Smith? And who is John? And who is... Uh, Mr. Miller, do you know what I mean? That's why he comes to my tongue. I am nothing, I'm just like you. I love that answer. My daughter has been coming to the Star of India since she was a teenager. She says that you are always there. Is that true? Yeah, it, this is my, it, it, darling, this is my second home, by the way. <laughs> I, I always hear because I don't want to miss my friend who comes to eat and who comes to see me. That's why I'm always here, though. I am depend on the people. That's why I like to see the people. I don't want to miss my people if I'm not here. That feeling is so contagious when people come into your restaurant. They all feel that about you. What do you attribute your excellent work ethic to? Well, I work very hard, just like, you know, if I work 24 hours, and I'll be happy to do it for the people. It's just like uh, I met your son, and a uh, long time ago, so many years ago, and uh, when I met him first time, he was very impressed, and he bring whole family, and, you know, your other son, too. It's just like I'm working very hard to bring a whole family. I love one person, they bring a whole family. I love the other person also. That's why I'm working very hard to make people happy. Is is this part of your culture from India, or is this something that is just unique to you? Well, it, it, it's only me. I don't, I, I don't want to involve the culture, because my culture, all the culture is good. My culture is good, too. I follow the culture also. I follow my own philosophy also. So we do a good job for the people, and respect always, just like, you know, when you go to the church, you pray over there and to make the God happy. And if somebody comes to your door, I always thinking is God has come my home to make them happy. It doesn't matter female or male. That's why I'm trying to do work very hard. What was the opportunity that came along that you said, this is my opportunity? Did you start working in the restaurant business in Garland, Texas? No, I was doing a hotel. Then I... Uh, after the hotel work, I quit the job up there. Then I was doing uh, restaurant business. I see, I see. And was your English very good at that time? Uh, so so. <laughs> you know, when I when I came new, I was very nervous. You know, you know, I speak good. People talking to me English. I was talking to them German. <laughs> In German. How many languages do you speak? Lord is blessing. I speak few languages. I speak German. I speak a few Indian languages. I speak a little bit of English, too. Did, did you own your own restaurant in, in Texas? Yeah, that was my business partner. We have a partner business. You went to work for a hotel. How did you end up owning your own restaurant in Texas? Well, I went to, uh, you know, one day I was uh, pretty upset. You know, I said, well, 
I, I, I have to be stuck here all the time. It's better to move around from there to go to the restaurant business. I was talking to them. One of the guys from South Africa, he said, well, you are from Punjab and you have, you know, should go what you looking for. I say, I have restaurant experience. Then I go to the restaurant. And so you went into restaurant business together? He took me from there because I didn't have a car that one. He said, I'll take you over there. I said, okay, we'll go over Then I went to there. Over. Then I started restaurant business. I met the friend over there. We'll work over there. Then we put it over there, some business part. So you met a friend from South Africa who took you to eat at an Indian restaurant, and you began to work at the Indian restaurant. And after a while, and he saw what a hard worker you were, you became partners of that Indian restaurant. Yeah, the different restaurant. Yeah, they know, you know, everybody knows, huh? Sammy's here, he's working hard worker or whatever. Just like, you know, whenever the time has come, God makes a connection to make a good time to be grow up, though. Yes, when the time is right, God does make the connection for you. I hear what you're saying. So, the restaurant you were in in Dallas, it was losing its lease, and so you were going to have, so the business was going to close, and you figured that was a sign from God, and you liked Arkansas and decided to move up here. What did your family think when you told them you were going to move them to Little Rock, Arkansas? Well, when I came, I was a uh, new married person from here. <laughs> I, married, I married India, you know, nine, you know, then my wife was over there in India. When I came to open this restaurant, I bring my wife from there to here in Little Rock. And when my, uh, I had one baby over there, older daughter. She was born in the year 1992, uh, uh, March 1992 over there in India. Then she was one and a half year old. And she, uh, so I bring her here. Then I have two other children. They born here in Little Rock. And when my wife come, I say, how do you like it? She said, Hey, honey, where is my husband go? I have to follow. I have to stay over there, too. And she is very nice sweetheart, by the way. In India, do the parents uh, arrange the marriages for you? That was a good question. I didn't see her before I married. And there was my parents arranged marriage. You know, that's not all bad. I think maybe my parents might have made some pretty good decisions for me when I was young. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they go in, in America very well, though. She sounds like a lovely person. So to open a business in Little Rock, Arkansas, do you have to be a U.S. citizen to get a city permit? It's not necessary, but I was U.S. citizen when I was open this restaurant. That is not necessary. I did not realize that. No, see, if you have a green card, you can open business. But I, have, I was an American citizen when I applied permit, city of permit license. What is the first thing you did when you came to Arkansas? to open your restaurant? I first thing, I pray here. Where? At what I, church? At what I center? prayed here. Prayed? Yes, I prayed here. Then I say, hey, God, I'm not asking me so, so many things. I'm not asking you so many things. I'm asking good health and pray, help me all the time. Stay with me all the time. Don't move from my heart. I'm under your feet. I love that. Don't move from my heart. I don't ask many things. I'm under your feet. That's lovely. Yes. So what? So did you go? The very first thing was to pick out your location, or did you pick yes. out, or did you plan your menu like first? The, no, I picked up the location here. I was building the location here, construction doing here. Then I make a menu. When I go step by step, I didn't. Do, you don't need a menu before you build the restaurant. You need a menu when you set up the restaurant. Then you need a menu. That's why I did it. By step by step. You're listening to a special edition of Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy as we hear from different restaurateurs about the inspiration that led them to start their businesses, especially after they've weathered the past year of the pandemic and maybe look forward to a summer of a bit of a return to normalcy. Next up. Restaurateur Don Dugan, owner, operator, founder of Dugan's Pub and Stratton's Market in downtown Little Rock, Arkansas. For 30 years, Dugan has built an extensive and expansive career in the culinary industry. Like so many in his field, he began as a server and a dishwasher. In an interview, Dugan was quoted saying, I waited tables in college and really loved the business. Yes, he did. Dugan moved up the restaurant business ladder, taking promotion and changing companies as his knowledge, pay, and responsibility grew. What began as a busboy at Shoney's led to jobs at Shorty Smalls, 
Chanel Country Club, Kelly's Bistro, Julie's, and The Afterthought, just to name a few. In October of 2010, Dugan's Pub opened. Not long after this, Don saw an opportunity to buy the building space next door to Dugan's Pub and opened Stratton's Market, which today operates as both a neighborhood grocery store and a package store. Welcome to the table, successful restaurateur and now grocery store owner, Don Dugan. Hello, hello. You have a nice radio voice. Thank you. You've done this before. Once or twice, but I like it. It's fun. So you have extensive training in the restaurant business. I do. If there's a job to be done in the restaurant, aside from sommelier, I don't think that there's any other job in the restaurant that I have not done. However, I can probably pick out different types of wine, different styles of wine. Probably can't give you a year or what's out of the hill it was grown on. You know, that's that's a little in-depth for me. And I'm not a trained sommelier. However, I do enjoy wine and working at Chanel Country Club and Pleasant Valley Country Club and then at La Scala and the Afterthought. Those are places that I really got the opportunity to try to hone that skill. And that was something that I enjoyed doing a lot. Is that why you put a 12-foot wine wall in your grocery store? <laughs> Partially, because so I like wine. You, Who doesn't like wine? Come on. Uh, I don't know. Don't answer that question. I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> so tell us about starting from college when you first started and got the restaurant bug, and which I think a lot of people have. We kind of talked about that before the show started. Everybody in this room's kind of had the fantasy that they were oh, going to yeah. be a restaurateur. So I honestly didn't really want to be in the restaurant business, but when I was in college, I had worked at a couple of restaurants in high school and they were, you know, fast foody type places and, and also Shoney's, but I was in the kitchen at Shoney's. And when I went to college, mom said, well, it's great. I can help take care of some of your bills, but you're going to have to get a job. And I said, oh, okay. So I went and there's another guy that I was talking to that ended up being my roommate. His name is Brian Bell. He lives in North Central Arkansas in Mountain Home. He's a contractor up there and a really nice guy. So if, you get, if you're in that area, need somebody, give him a call. What's his How, name? Brian Bell. There you go. He the does uh, Bell Construction or something. Yeah, okay. I, I believe that's right. Okay. So he and I were talking and we were like, well, let's go out and find a job. So we went, you know, because his parents had told him he needed a job too. So we went out to different places and applied. And one of the places that we both put in an application was this place called Poncho's Mexican Restaurant. In Jonesboro, in Arkansas. Jonesboro. And it was right on Caraway there, I believe. And we both ended up getting hired at the same time and... At that time, he wasn't my roommate, but then he wound up being my roommate throughout that semester. He wanted to get out of the dorms and move in with me. So we started waiting tables there and really enjoyed it. We were probably two of the most competitive people in that place. For tables or something? But just in general. Yeah, I'm a fairly competitive person. I don't like to lose very often, but I do. Don't get me wrong. But I try to win every chance I get. So, But we would kind of have contests with each other. And with other people on staff, you know, this wasn't anything that was sanctioned by the management. It was just something that we just did because we wanted to like what we wanted kind to see contest? well like to see who could sell the most every day and then who could sell the most of this item or this item who or could this sell the item. Most margaritas or, or something. Well, it would have been had there been alcohol there, but there wasn't alcohol there. But I did enjoy waiting tables and it was fun and we had a good time. And it just seemed like a really cool gig. Well, when I left there, came back home and started working at Shorty Smalls, I'd applied at like seven or eight places in town and they were all kind of on the west side of town because I grew up over there right by Breckenridge Village. And you applied, got I, I applied at Shorty Smalls and started waiting tables there. And then I started to understand what the whole pushing each other and, and sales contests and, and things like that were for. One of the things that they did at Shorty's that I thoroughly enjoyed was if you were in the top three in sales, then you got to write your own schedule. So if you were, if you what a sold, good idea! Yeah, I mean, and they did it, you know, on your per person average. So if you had twenty people that came in and they spent X amount of money, and somebody else had twenty people that came in and they spent less, well, then your per person average is more. So I was motivating for us. We sold a lot, and it was fun. And out of the, do you do that at Dugan's? No, we don't currently. That's and, too much work for management. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've got a very limited management staff, <laughs> which basically would all fall on me and I'm not really interested in doing it, okay. but I just go and, and motivate people in other ways. And, you know, we have other kind of sales contests and things like that, you know, and, you know, we'll, we'll do different prizes for them 
whether it be you know a, a twenty five dollar gift certificate to Dugan's, that they can either keep themselves or they can turn it in right at that moment and keep twenty five dollars cash if they win. Or sometimes they probably eat free at Dugan's because you probably don't know it, but your employees are giving them <laughs> meals all the time. You know, one of the things that I never complain about is people eating food, which sounds totally opposite of what you would think, right? So, guys in the kitchen, I figured out a long time ago that if you give people the keys to the kingdom, more often than not, they're not going to take it. Does that make sense? Yeah. But if you're the guy standing there holding the keys going, you're never getting it, then they're going to take anything they can get. And they're going to do it sneakily behind your back. And then all of a sudden you're creating a situation where they have to be untruthful with you and they have to try to figure out a way to you know, get around you. I don't want that kind of culture. I don't want that kind of environment. No. And, and I don't want that kind of workplace. I'm not that kind of person. And I sure don't want to have to be that guy. That guy sucks. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> when I was working at Chanel, I was the front of the house manager. But I mean, every now and then something happens and you got to go in the kitchen, you know, and mm-hmm. you got to help out. So mm-hmm. I've never shied away from doing anything. You know, I, I always figured if anything, I would make myself more valuable to wherever I am because I know how to do these things. I don't think people realize that. When you say it's not in my job description, you're limiting what you're limiting your value. You know, I have a pretty simple phrase around our place. If somebody ever looks at you and says, that's not my job. Guess what? You're right. It's not. There's the door. I'll find somebody else who's not scared. Thanks. Yeah, that's right. And yet, Julie's, you spent a lot of time in the kitchen. (laughs) Yeah, I did. And then at La Scala and the Afterthought, you learned the nuts and bolts of running a profitable business. And that's where so many restaurateurs make a mistake. Fail. Well, they do. And Wally Geringer, who now owns Krebs Brothers. Oh, really? Correct. At the time, he and his two partners owned La Scala and and the Afterthought. And I learned more from Wally about how to you know, work a, a balance sheet and a, a profit and loss statement and, you know, how to actually control labor and food cost and how that translates into profit, which translates into being able to pay people and making sure that you're making payroll and paying yourself, which is what a lot of people seem to forget. You know, they get in the restaurant business and think, well, as long as I can cover all my bills, I'm good. Well, no, you got to pay yourself too. I mean, you got a house note, you got kids, or well, at least I did. You know, I've got a house note, kids, cars. I mean, you got things that you got to pay for. Do you so, look at your financials, your income statement and balance sheet every month? Every month. See, I don't think a lot of people do. No, they don't. I know when I was a young business person, I did not. I didn't even know the difference between a balance sheet and an income <laughs> statement. Before I started working for Wally, I really didn't. And I feel sorry for my accountant. He had to go, okay, your income <laughs> statement is what you earned that month and what you spent that month. Right. And then your balance sheet is how much money you have in your checking account and how much if you own in your assets. Right. And, your and liabilities. What are the liabilities you have? I mean, if you if you have a loan for your business, you know, that's coming out of your balance sheet. It doesn't show up on your P and L, but it shows up on your balance sheets and whatever you pay yourself does too. Was there something after all these restaurants? that caused you to just say, I think I'm going to go out on my own and start my own restaurant. You know, it's funny. After I left La Scala, I went back to Kelly's Bistro and was tending bar for them and kind of helping manage. And then Craig and Diane ended up getting a divorce and then they wound up selling the restaurant and they sold it to a guy that we were all, I mean, we were all friends and they ended up selling it to him. And in the year and a half that he owned it, I could kind of see the decline coming and I knew the end was near. Because he wasn't looking at his income statement and balance sheet. No, he wasn't. (laughs) That's one of the reasons. But uh, there's a lot more reasons than I want to get into here. I don't want to disparage him or his former families. But at that time, I mean, I'm married. I've got two kids at home. I got to have a job. I got to have some income. And one of the guys that was a client of mine owned textbook brokers. And it was James Barnes and, and Jimmy Bachelor, And they said, well, you can come work for us. I said, well, okay, what am I going to do? <laughs> they said, well, we'll put you to work buying books. So I did the weirdest job I've ever done in my life, right? So I traveled around from college campus to college campus and bought textbooks from instructors. But I had to literally had to drive to each place, each little college and, and you know, I mean, Community colleges, I mean, all kinds of crazy little places, you know, technical schools, all that stuff. So when I was doing that, you know, after about a year and a half of that, my wife's like, hey, I love you, but it's it's time to come home. You a know? year and a half. A year and a half. I mean, I was literally traveling for a year and a half. And at that time, my daughter's swimming competitively, so and my wife is coaching. 
So I would leave out Monday morning. I would go buy textbooks until Thursday afternoon. I'd come back Friday morning. I would go turn everything in. And then on Friday afternoon, we would leave and go to whatever corner of the state we were going to for a meet that weekend. Well, I, I saw that in your bio that you sold books. I was like, where did that come from? <laughs> so you went back and bought Kelly's Bistro, didn't you? Well, actually what happened was Kelly's went out of business while I was traveling, right? Which I mean, I knew it was coming. I could see it. And this other guy that was a customer of ours, Rick Millerick, took it over and he turned it into Markham Street Grill and Pub. Well, Rick had never been in the restaurant business before, but he always thought it'd be really cool to get in the restaurant business. And he struggled a lot with it. And I talked to him on the phone quite a bit while I was traveling. You know, I mean, I'd call in, hey, you doing all right? And remember, he called me and asked me questions about things. And when I, I was home one weekend, and I just said, hey, listen, I know you're not in great health. He was having some medical issues and was going to have to have surgery. And so I said, well, why don't you let me just come in and run your restaurant for you for a couple months while you're, you know, going through this and recuperating? And he was like, okay. And so we did that. And before he went in for surgery, we were there one night. I told him I needed to work a couple of weeks to kind of, you know, get things straight and figure out my bearings and figure out exactly where everybody that was on staff was so I would know how to manage things correctly. And I said, man, why don't you just let me be your partner? He was like, okay. <laughs> I love and this I guy. said, wow. All right. <laughs> we had a couple more drinks. And I said, why don't you sell me the whole thing? He was like, okay. I mean, that was our negotiation. I'm really not joking. And, and people look at me like, it couldn't have been that easy. It genuinely was that easy. I think everything around you is easy. <laughs> well, sometimes. But, you know, I went home that night, woke my wife up and said, hey, I think we just bought a restaurant. And so how'd you get the money? <laughs> he just he just let you pay him out? No. Did you have to go to the bank? I did. I went to, at that time, it was first commercial? No. Because banks don't like to loan restaurants money. I know. But I got it at a really great price. My father did co-sign for me. The guys that I worked with were... Gosh, I guess it was First Commercial Bank at the time. They changed names so much. I, I know. It's hard to keep up. up. I know. But the two guys that I went to go see were in charge of the lending department, and they were customers anyway, so they knew the potential of what was there. Oh. They knew me. I mean, they'd known me for about five years, so they knew that I wasn't just some Yahoo going, sweet, we're going to get a restaurant. We're going to drink it up. You know, I mean, How it's old not, were you when you bought that restaurant? I was 32. 33? That's a good age to buy a restaurant. So, yeah. I was old enough that I was going to be a complete and total moron. Not that I wasn't upon occasion. But, but young you know. enough to stand on your feet and have the energy to do a restaurant. It is hard right. work. Yes, ma'am, it is. But I'm used to it. You know, it's it's just what I do. I enjoy it. I'm very lucky to have a job that I enjoy doing. I count my lucky stars every day and say thanks to the man upstairs because that's honestly the only reason I'm here doing what I do. And I enjoy doing what I do. I mean, my father always told me, when I was growing up, he said, listen, I don't really care what you do. Just find something you enjoy doing and you'll find a way to get paid for it. Don't worry about the money aspect. And I was like, pop, that doesn't make a lot of sense. One of the things when we were opening Dugan's, when we had kind of already sealed the deal and gotten money all kind of squared away, you know, without his help at all on this go around because of what we'd done at Markham Street. And so he's walking around in there and I think we had I think we'd poured concrete, but we hadn't done anything else in there. And he's looking around and he's like, you know, he's looking at the the plans that we've got. And he said, son, how much is this going to be? And I told him the amount and he was like, golly, man, those banks are going to own you. And I said, no, dad, they're going to own my debt. They don't own me. They own my debt. But the good news is, is that my fear of failure is stronger than anything else. So I'm going to drive. We're going to make this work. And he was like, wow. Okay, if you say so. And he got to see five years of me busting butt and making this thing work. Well, I think you did a great tip. You gave great advice when you said your fear of failure is bigger. And <sighs> I think that's a great motivator. I hate failing. I think that's, a, <laughs> I think that's a, a fear that a lot of entrepreneurs have. Every story, fascinating. And that's the show, Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, looking at the inspiration behind local restaurateurs getting their businesses started as we hopefully look at a possible return to a little bit of normalcy for going out to eat later this summer. You've been listening to Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream. 